0: Yale Podcast Network.
1: Welcome to our next episode of Never Delegate Understanding. I'm really pleased today to be joined by Hugo Campos, or as I know in South America, Hugo Campos, uh, who was born in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil, and moved to the u s to study graphic arts and worked in marketing and advertising agencies in California when he was thirty seven he he passed out while climbing stairs of the subway and and was subsequently had a diagnosis of of a certain kind of medical condition that sometimes people get when they're shocked or upset or or uh, find something surprising, and he was discharged. But it turned out that that was a, a misdiagnosis. He continued to feel sort of a palpitation, sort of his heart beating rapidly and, and was also having some episodes of fainting. And really it took about three years uh, before he finally had the diagnosis, uh, the real underlying cause of his problem, which was something in medicine we call hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, but is, a, is sort of a genetically um, determined thickening of the heart which can at times cause people to have these kinds of problems. Um, but it also, for some patients, not only can have a risk of fainting, but can also have a risk of sudden death. And, and some people may have heard of athletes, for example, who have had this condition who, in the midst of a, of a game, uh, passed out and even died. So these days we have a way to treat that. Uh, there's a device that can be placed in the body and and threaded into the heart so that if the heart develops a rhythm that is dangerous, the patient, the person can be shocked. And essentially in the same way that if you've seen someone who has a cardiac arrest and we use defibrillator paddles and and can shock someone back, this is a, a small device that goes right into the heart that can sense on its own the need for that kind of shock and then deliver it and and actually save lives. We were just very honored to have him. You should know that he's someone who has now become an outspoken advocate for patient rights, for patient access to data. He's appeared in many conferences. He won the White House Champion of Change for Precision Medicine Award. He's an ambassador to the All of Us study that is a study that was started um, by the federal government to be able to collect and study information and has a strong commitment to including Participants, the people who are going to be uh, uh, sharing their data with the study, to be uh, play vital roles in it, and not just have more traditional uh, scientists doing work, having subjects, and not really including people.
0: Yeah, Uh, this is so good. I love that you get it, you know, and it's it's a and you're completely right about how uh, we really need to figure out how to change culture, and um, I I really think that uh, the 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 heavy lift has to be. Um, it has to be done by uh, the, the the patients and in the patient community. And, and uh, you know, I, I think a lot of times, folks, um, uh, p- patients always think that uh, you know, it's, it's somebody else. Uh, somebody else has to do the work, right? Somebody else. The doctors need to kind of meet me where I am, and and to some extent. Or the health system has to uh, has to engage with me in my in the context of my experience, and there is a lot of work that the patient has to do, uh, particularly people who are living with a chronic condition, to uh, to get the best out of the system. But but there's so much more that we need to do to sort of make sure that 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 patients are empowered and and uh, educated and 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 enabled to to use the the e-words of the of e-patient the e movement to, to participate. So
1: maybe you could share uh, with the people listening a little bit about your story, because I, I sort of just tried to give an overview, but the truth is uh, that you live this, and it's been an extraordinary journey, but c- can you just sort of give us a sense of what you were living through that? what, what, what How did you experience it?
0: Yeah, so I never imagined that I had uh, a Heart condition or, or any anything wrong with my heart until, well, occasionally I would have a uh, my heart would skip a beat or would would do something a little strange and um, but I never thought it was anything serious until the day when I was uh, running up a flight of stairs, uh, to catch a BART the Bay Area a, a commuter train. And I passed out, and woke up being put on a gurney uh, and being taken to the emergency uh, room. And and um, after a number of of, of misdiagnoses of, uh, of uh, a number of yeah, I, I think folks are we're, we're becoming a lot uh, better at diagnosing hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, but in in my uh, in my case, um, it took about three years. But Eventually, I was diagnosed with HCM, and, and, uh, it, but the, the, going over the, the course of those three years that took to get a proper diagnose activated me and uh, because I realized that um, uh, a lot of the, the healthcare providers and the doctors that were seeing me weren't really uh, communicating. Um, each, each group in each different place had a little bit of the story, no, no one had a complete story. Uh, They were busy with uh, with the the many patients in their practice. I thought I was just uh, just uh, one more, and uh, and I thought, wow, no, nobody's really advocating for me. Nobody's really um, nobody's coordinating (laughs) this uh, the the care, and and I thought, well, you know what, I I I should probably be the one doing this. Why am I not doing this? Why am I delegating this stuff? And so um, and and it sort of woke me up. To the fact that I needed to engage, and and uh, it's sort of a matter of, a, it was a, I realized that there was a crisis, and uh, it was important for me to get. Um, but what, what, was there a day like? How did it happen? It wasn't a sudden thing. It was a it, it was it was a very gradual uh, transformation over over the course of um, the, the you know I guess a year or two uh, when I realized. It started little by little. It's overwhelming, right? Particularly when you're diagnosed with a condition that you know nothing about. And all of a sudden, you know, uh, somebody tells you, you have hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. The first time I heard that, I couldn't even pronounce it. I think when things kind of started turning uh, sort of the tipping point, I suppose, for me was when I joined... A group of other patients with hypertrophic cardiomyopathy online, and the amount—and I discovered and I saw that there was an amazing amount of a wealth of information being held by all these other patients. And and if you think of HCM uh, b- being a, a, a familial disease, there's a lot of knowledge in in that in, in in that group, because people will understand how to manage congestive heart failure because they're caring for. A, uh, a, a, a parent with with uh, CHF. Uh, or they understand the atrial fibrillation because they are anticoagulated and they are managing their Coumadin, um, and they all have all these people have HCM, and uh, and they're they're concerned with a child that was uh, that had the gene detected uh, in which you know they may develop develop the disease and they're concerned that their child may be at risk for sudden cardiac arrest, so so people engage very quickly and learn a lot, and uh, when I joined the group online. On uh, it was a forum. I realized uh, that there was so much to be learned, and, and I was really proud to see that. Wow, there's all these people who know so much about this, and not one single person had the entire picture. But uh, but the community uh, had a lot of knowledge, and uh, and so it was up to me to sort of uh, figure out where uh, where that knowledge was that I needed for to get the best that I to the best for myself I little by little I I started understanding a little more and I started going to medical conferences um and uh, started going to signing up to you know I I wrote me a symposium and uh, I remember one time I saw um So This is funny. I had been seen by the the chief of arrhythmia services at at Stanford. He had been the person who had uh, recommended the implantable defibrillator, which I received eventually. But um, in the year that followed, I attended a symposium on cardiac rhythm, and he was lecturing. At the symposium, and um, and I wanted to say hello after his lecture. I watched his lecture, and it was, it was it was very interesting. And when when he was done with his lecture, I approached him and I, and I said, oh. Hello, doctor, how are you doing? And he says, he, he turns to me and he says, oh, um, and he recognized me, but I was out of context. So he looks at me and goes, yes, doctor, doctor. I said, no, uh, I'm not a doctor. I'm, I'm, I'm your patient. Uh, I'm, I'm Hugo Campos, your patient. And he looked at me uh, shocked and he says, oh, Mr. Campos, what, what are you doing here? I said I'm I'm here I'm like attending. everybody else. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm here to learn. <laughs> well, so well let
1: me ask you this because sometimes people say that um you know it's it it's hard for patients, hard for patients to get involved and to be able to um find out information and 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 to exert themselves. Like when I I had a new patient today and and she has a new diagnosis <clears> that something she never knew about before and and I'm thinking It's part of my job to help provide a pathway for her to start gaining competence in this. It's in her best interest. I mean, I'm here worrying about the medicines. I'm worrying about, you know, a lot of things for her, but one of the things I need to be linking about is the information uh, prescription. So when, when I walked in and talked to her, I, I made sure to say, you know, the American Heart Association has a good information about this. The Mayo Clinic site, the Cleveland Clinic site, the, you know, you can look here, you can look there. And there are, other groups. And, and my thought is that we don't make this as a burden. We make this as an opportunity. I mean, this is something like, okay, I've got something I need to learn about now because it's directly relevant to me. And, and I have the highest stake in this. Doctors also need to change too by embracing the idea that that, that, that that's a great opportunity for them too. If someone who knows a lot about their condition should be the most exciting person for a doctor to talk to because it's someone they can engage. They don't have to do the basics. They, they're they already beyond the basics when they're in the conversation. But, but was it hard for you?
0: Yeah. Um, gosh, there, there's so much there. Uh, so the, the, the it, it was hard for me, yes. It was, it was very hard. And uh, and, it, and it took uh, commitment of time. It took commitment of, um, of money. And, and, and you know, I went all the way to South Carolina. I live in California, and I, I went to South Carolina to take a class on, on the basics of cardiac rhythm management. It's a class that's geared uh, toward um, people who, uh, nurses, for example, who want to get into uh, cardiac rhythm who uh, want we to become a pacemaker nurse or 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 work at a clinic a pacemaker clinic a technicians take that class it's a, a it was sort of a, a very early sort of beginning class on uh on um, a cardiac yeah
1: and how did on, you even hear, how did you even hear about that class
0: How did i hear about that i um I don't know how I heard about that. I I I don't know. I think I may have come uh, uh, maybe a, I don't know. I was really engage- at, at, in the early early um days of my when I received the uh, the ICD and as you can imagine this is it was I was very terrified and I this is something I was going to mention earlier and I got distracted saying something else but it's a it's a, it was it was terrifying and it was very uh ter- there there are two big fears one that I I uh would be uh, would suffer uh, an, an arrhythmia, a ventricular arrhythmia, and the device would fail to rescue me, because those were terrifying uh, episodes. And and the second uh fear was that I would be that the device would would rescue me. <laughs> so uh, essentially because you would that, get
1: shocked and it was hurt you, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah. Or
0: or you know, get a shock in a In a situation where it's not ideal, when you're in a car driving uh, down the highway, or if you're in a public place and uh, make a spectacle of yourself, uh, you you know these are some things, uh, things that go through your mind. But so, so I, so because of those fears, and again, crisis leading to engagement, I I used to um, contact uh, the manufacturer, and I made uh, friends with uh, with uh, device techs. And device techs have a lot of technicians or the the clinical specialists who, who uh, assist uh, clinicians in, in in programming these devices and implanting these devices, have a, are incredibly knowledgeable. And I and I, I knew a couple of these people, who were very helpful in in, in giving me sort of uh, uh, you know insider information or information that you wouldn't get even from a nurse. Um, and uh, and that was very helpful to me. And um, so, uh, so and it may have been through these conversations and these relationships that I learned about. That I learned about the Arrhythmia Technologies Institute, which is this this school in, in Greenville, South Carolina, that teaches uh, a number of courses on cardiac rhythm management. I have been self-employed for, for a dozen of years. And, and the fact that I uh, could not get health insurance because at that time this was before the Affordable care, the provision of the Affordable Care Act that made it uh, illegal to discriminate against a person with a pre-existing condition, it was before that went into effect and um, so I, I was concerned that I would be out of um, that I wouldn't have a way to do follow-ups on my implanted device and so, so I thought, well, you know, what am I going to do? And so I, I should probably know how to how to program these devices myself because what what if I, I what if I'm disconnected uh, against my will from the healthcare systems and uh, prevented from uh, having access to 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 my to the pacemaker clinic for follow-ups? Uh, and so I'll I'll have to be able to, to fend for myself. And so and and so it became sort of um, imperative that i that i do something about it so i would have more autonomy in my own care and and be the master of my own body and so uh, that is uh, sort of the, the key motivation for me to go and spend uh, several thousand uh, thousands of dollars in in the class at the uh, arabia technologies institute and and i stayed in greenville for a month and uh, took a class there and um, uh, well,
1: that, that's incredible, and that was the yeah. beginning of also your thinking about how do I get my data from the device. Was that the beginning of that?
0: that? That's right. Well, I always thought that it made sense from the day when I got the device, and and I was told uh that I was uh, the doctor says, and you know we're going to put you on remote monitoring, and I said ah this is great because the first thought in my mind was this is great because I'm going to have access to this the the alerts and. Um, and so I said, "How is the, what's the URL for the <laughs> <laughs> what's the URL for the for the patient portal?" Just laughing I can,
1: because I know the answer. Okay, keep going. <laughs> yeah, and they
0: and said, "No, oh no, there's no, there's no, no. This is for us to <laughs> get the alerts. It's not for you to get the alerts." And I said, "Well, how? Well, but I live with the device. Well, you don't live with the device. So why?" Why would you get the alerts and not me? That, how does that make sense? And so, so it never really made sense to me to send alerts to the clinic and not to the patient, who who is in the best position to take uh, an action in response to a critical alert, um, uh, or has, is the patient is in the best position to 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 learn from from the alerts to be educated. But the reality is that the clinic is is flooded. With an avalanche of data, and uh, and it's become hard for the for the clinics to manage all of these alerts and all of these all of this data. So we really haven't helped the clinic uh, either, because <laughs> we now we're flooding the clinics with data and alerts, and the patient is you know completely unaware of any of it. And so we're not making the best use of our Resources and and I think it would make perfect sense to say to patients, uh, you know, uh, it is uh, you, engage, engage. It is it is your job too. It is not just our job uh, to to take care of you. You you, you are at the, in the best place to make the right decisions for yourself. It is your responsibility to care for yourself. It is not mine. It's only my job as a as a doctor to. To help intervene and advise, it is not my job to live your life. And when you have a, a chronic condition, you learn you you must live. You must learn how to live with that chronic condition. I can't live your life for you.
1: But what happened when you first started saying, "I want the data"?
0: Well, so you know, folks were saying, "What? Well, why would you want the data? This is complex. This is um, you wouldn't understand it anyway." Um, You know, it's our job, it's not your job, uh, you you know, and and back in those days, and it's not that long ago, just a decade ago, even the manual that came with the device uh, said, think of the implantable defibrillator as the guardian angel on your shoulder. And I I thought it was an insulting uh, way to look at it. And, and, uh, And I thought, wow, no, that's not how I go about my life. Transparency isn't easy, right? When we have transparency, it's harder than having trust because transparency demands engagement. And and you really have to now say, gosh, now I have my data. Now I have my clinical notes. Now I have this and I have that. Now I have, in order to read those clinical notes, uh, in order to read my my record, in order to understand my cardiac device uh, 60-page report, I need to educate myself to understand w- what what this means, uh, to understand whether, uh, you know, 22 beats of ventricular tachycardia is something I should worry about. Uh, you know, is this... Uh,
1: no. And you may want to educate yourself to know that within the medical establishment, there may not be consensus about what to do with that. So that, you know, part of the thing that's uncomfortable but true is that there's often not a right answer. And so then you need to know what answers are out there. What are, and, and that's something I think that when you see somebody on Monday, but the person on Wednesday would have told you something different and the person on Friday would have told you something different, we have to make sure that people are educated enough to know that there is some disagreement and there are a variety of options that people are debating. Any patient could say, I want to defer this. I want, I want someone else to do it or I'll just defer to my doctor. But I think... The culture has trained most patients to believe that's what we doctors want. That's what we doctors expect. You've now spent a decade or more you know, saying that this is my data. I, I want it. I, I, I want you to tell people what I've heard you say before, which is when somebody says to you that what you said, Hugo, you wouldn't know what to do with it. What have you said to people? <laughs>
0: Well, you know, I, I've I've said, well, it's it, you know, it's not really your job to tell me what to do with it, <laughs> and it really is, you right. know, I, I, you know, it's it, it, it's sort of, yeah, you know, it's not it's unlike, none of your it, darn
1: business what I'm going to do with it, right?
0: <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> That's right, it's it's none of your darn business, and um, and and it, this is this is really about uh, it, it, it's it's kind of the, the right attitude if we're hoping. To create a, a culture of, of, uh, of curiosity and a culture of citizen science, a culture of, of inquisitive minds where people are uh, interested and, and, and uh, willing to share uh, data with one another, share data with uh, researchers. So what do you say to
1: the doctor? I'm going to pass a couple by you that, that, and hear what your response is. So some, let's say, well-meaning you know, doctors saying, here's my fear. Hugo hasn't been trained. He gets this information and he does something with it that he shouldn't do. This is, I know, uh, I'm just expressing it as I, as I've heard it. So it is a little paternalistic, but it is also well-intended, which is that he's going to get, he's going to start mucking with the device or, or if he gets alerts, he won't know that I know that that's not, that was a false positive and he shouldn't freak out or he won't know what I know that, that that information was. Uh, you know, it needs to be put in context with other information that I, your doctor, knows, and so I, I am in the end, respect your interest, but I did go to medical school for all these years, and I have information you may not have, and and experience with many patients you have experience with yourself, and I can help save you from that. What, what do you say to that?
0: Yeah. Uh, what what that what that does is that we're taking away an opportunity from a, from a person to to teach them an opportunity for them to learn uh, and that's not fair and how is that fair and, and that's how we learn you know I'm not a rock climber but I wouldn't take that risk so um, so uh, I, it's, it's a little uh, um, hypocritical in some ways for us to say, I don't want somebody to harm themselves. People have the ability to harm themselves. So it's it, it, every day. Well, so, and,
1: and I think we can set up systems to support people. I mean, it's one thing to say, well, you're on your own. It's another thing to say, we're going to build the system so that we are going to help you gain access to this information. And we're not going to abandon you. Because if you've got questions, as you're learning, as things come up, we're going to continue to work with you. We will not, I'll just say it again, we will not abandon you. We will be with you. But let, let me ask you, I just want to get a couple more things quickly in because we're almost at the end of time. Um, you're working as an ambassador for all of us. This is a national project. It's a research project, and and we've talked about you know the importance of making sure that people are respected as participants in studies, as partners in studies, and and really on the team. Are you working in that study? That study that's going to enroll maybe a million people to ensure that data that's collected about people in that study is accessible to those people that it will be given
0: back to them. Uh, yeah, that's the that's the the number one thing in my mind. Uh, and there there are many of us. There are many uh, participant. Partners uh, on the on the national level, and there are participant part partners in the different consortia. I have a role in the California consortium. I have uh, a, a role in a local site, uh, one of the uh, one of the academic institutions that are part of the uh, California consortium. Uh, I, I have many roles uh, in in the national level, um, uh, and and it's and so so there are many of us. Uh, doing a variety of different uh, uh, types of work, engaged in different work groups. And uh, it's really incredible to see. And it's really, really wonderful and, and very promising. So, um, so
1: people will get their data back. They'll well, get...
0: the, that's, the hope. that's so, the hope. So that's the hope. <laughs> so we're, we're, we're finding, well, so, so this is, we're, we're, we have launched a data browser. Uh, I think it's in beta. Uh, there, there's some, of, of course, the data that's available to a vetted researcher who applies, uh, is, it will be, will be much more in depth and much more. But how
1: about uh, an individual? Because you're collecting everybody's records and maybe someone says, nobody else has all my records except this study because they went out and got all of it. Will you give up? i I'm not talking about a researcher. I mean, to that, to you as a participant in all of us, will you get yours back?
0: Uh, well, so we don't we don't know the answer to that quite yet. So th- this a, okay. these are discussions that we're, we' that we we constantly have. Uh, what we know at the moment is that for us to retain participants over the course of the program, which is ten years, uh, it, it is critical that we return value to participants. That is very, very important. Participants want value. Now what constitutes value, is is different to each participant whether uh, depending dependent upon their health status their uh, the place where they live well my
1: my hope is that everyone has the option though in the end so i i hope you'll be successful let me ask you one other question i'm just getting a few things in here today are you able to get your data from your device
0: no i, I am not still I am not. today you cannot get I, your still data still today i cannot yeah for a while i was able to because i purchased a, a pacemaker programmer on uh on an auction site online and and uh and for for a number of years i was able to do my own interrogations and uh but uh, but i re- ever since i received a newer device uh, i don't have the software upgrade in my programmer and so i'm unable to do that so i've been and, and locked you, out of my you device you can't again.
1: because they won't give it to you that's right okay so i'm going to take this on for myself i'm going to work with you I promise you, we will get you your device. If we have to tweet every day, if we have to take out articles, I really, I've had it. Like, you need to be able to get access. I'm just going to make that promise to you. But I want to ask you, if you had a couple pieces of advice for people listening about how they would approach their health challenges or or their health opportunities as they try to promote their health. Is there anything you want to share here at the end?
0: Yeah, I, I think it's important for people to learn how to partner with the, the, their their healthcare team with their doctor. Uh, it, it doctors have uh, uh, pain points, uh, are under pressure. The clinicians are busy. People have. No, it's not easy for it's not easy for for anyone. So so it's it's really I think at the core of this is is for us to learn how to work together, uh, for us to learn how to how to help. Our our clinic uh, clinicians do their job. Our doctor do a better job. How to support the doctor? How to support the nurse? And uh, and, and and really understand your rights and your responsibilities as a patient, and uh, learn how to how to get the best um, the best that, that you can out of um, out of a healthcare system. Um, to to quote a patient, Dave. I'll close with a quote from my patient Dave, whom uh, I admire greatly. Uh, he says, "The empowered patient uh, knows what he wants and asks for it." And I think that's good advice for everybody. As I'm part of the innovation group at Kaiser now, so um, so we're we're doing more, we're so I'm, it's a design sort of innovation kind of human centered design group, really cool group. And uh, and we're doing a little experiment uh, to to see what would happen if we get uh, uh, patients give patients uh, alerts. So, but we're finding that it's even patients aren't. It's you know as as it's depressing because people don't know what to do with the with the information they get. Patients are a lot of times very disengaged, and that's I think the key for us is this: is really how do we. How do we get um, folks to understand that they must engage? That doctors don't have all of the answers. People have lives too. They have busy lives. You know, people are not going to take on your problem. You got to engage, and and some you know you may find a, 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 a physicians, and and uh, you know those are rare. The, that will, uh, to, to the expense of their relationships with their families and their own personal lives, will spend, will work 12 hours a day and longer to to make sure their patients are getting the best care. But, but that's not, that shouldn't be the norm. People should be, doctors should be able to go home to their families. And, and right, I mean, it's like, my, da- my dad has a, a PCP who calls us at 9.30 p.m. I, I feel sorry for the guy. I love the guy. His his name is Doctor Good. He lives up to his name. He's an incredible guy, incredible guy, awesome guy. I love the guy. Incredible doctor, incredible, incredible doctor. But always concerned about us, and uh, but it's, it's he shouldn't live a life like that. It, why why is he calling us at 9:30 p.m.? Poor guy. He's there at 8 a.m. in the office, so it, it's that it's not right. So it's not right for everybody. it's not working for anybody. So how do we? how do we fix this but i think patients we work together and patients take on some more work particularly people with chronic illness people with chronic illness have no excuse to not engage you 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 have yeah i think so
1: my hope is that these kind of interviews these kinds of discussions will lead people to see that that it's possible to to take this kind of attitude to be activated to be engaged to to never delegate understanding. I just want to express my deep gratitude for you for sharing this time with us uh, and my deep gratitude to you for, for how I, you inspire me every time we talk, and, and I think you have a vision for where we need to go in the future, and, and I look forward to continuing to work with you and, and others to try to achieve this. So uh, thank you so much, Hugo.
0: It is my pleasure. I'm honored to be here. Thank you.
1: Thank you. Never Delegate Understanding is hosted by me, Harlan Krumholtz, produced by Caesar Caraballo and Daisy Massey, and edited by Ryan McAvoy at the Yale Broadcast Studio. Follow us on Twitter at, at NDU underscore podcast, or email us at neverdelegateunderstanding at gmail.com. Listen for free at Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcast. We'll have new episodes in two weeks.